Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Hey, 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 hey! Can I tell you, I I am overwhelmed and just in awe and shock and surprise at the love and support that has just poured out for this podcast. It went up on iTunes late Sunday night. And when I checked on Monday morning, like it popped up in the top 10 on iTunes. I don't think you understand how many podcasts there are on iTunes. There's like tons of them. But I'm number 10. Dr. Phil is number four. Oprah's is number six. And I'm like, holy crap, how many people are downloading this thing? Oh, 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 oh. And I saw the reviews that people have left on on iTunes. I cannot thank you enough. I I'm completely overwhelmed. I hope like you can hear the excitement and the joy and the gratitude in my voice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I told you I'd give you 90 days and I'm going to keep that commitment. I might sneak a couple extras in there just for fun, just because I love you guys and you're being super supportive and I'm really, really thankful. But this week, I don't have a theme for this week. Last week was all about Michelle Obama's book. Right now, so much craziness is happening not just on pop culture, but like pop culture, world stage. There's just so much to talk about. So do you mind if we just chat for a bit? You can't respond. So I hope the answer is yes and that you're still listening. A couple of things that I want to talk about, and I'll tell you what they are, just so you can decide now whether you're in or you're out for the ride of this podcast. There's the new Gillette commercial about toxic masculinity that people are are like flipping out about. And I'm like, do we watch the same commercial? Because I'm I'm not flipping out about it, but a whole lot of men in particular are. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the R. Kelly documentary. The documentary was six whole hours, but I think there could have been like a good another solid four hours of information that we just, there was just not enough time to get in. I also read the book. It was very short of one of his victims, Geronda Price. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she was the young woman who said that R. Kelly started flirting with her while he was on trial for child pornography. And she was 16 years old at the time. I read her book, so I'll definitely talk about that. And then also Kamala Harris for president. There's been news reports that she's going to run for president. Allegedly, she's going to announce over Martin Luther King weekend. I had an interesting reaction to that, one that I'm kind of embarrassed about, but I'm going to tell you. Finally, this Jeff Bezos affair. Um, if you're not, if you haven't been following this story, Jeff Bezos is the wealthiest man in the world. He and his wife, that's important to say, are worth about 137 billion. They've been married for 25 years. Bezos founded Amazon 24 years ago. His wife was one of the biggest supporters starting out. She was an early investor in the company. She quit her good job to move across country with him because he had this brilliant idea that might leave them busted to start this online site that sold books. They're going through a divorce. There is no prenup and it's messy. And I want to talk about it because so often when people do messy things, people are like, ooh, that's ghetto, that's hood. We need to not associate ratchetness and foolishness with brown people or poor people because these folks is white and they got more money than anybody else on the whole damn planet. And husband Bezos is acting a plum fool. But we'll get to that. First up, this Gillette commercial. I heard the controversy about the commercial before I saw the commercial. So I watched the commercial. It's a it's a mini film. 
It's a series of vignettes showing men and boys doing inappropriate things. Boys bullying other boys. Two boys fighting in the backyard as their parents look on and don't break them up. A bunch of men chanting boys will be boys, which is a common excuse to just let men do whatever. A man sexually harassing a woman as she's walking down the street. It's a minute and a half commercial, and it proposes this incredibly wild notion that men should act as their best selves. And in case you didn't pick up this concept by all the visuals offered, the voiceover again makes it really clear and said the boys of today will be the men of tomorrow. Translation, I believe the children are a future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Somehow, this is problematic. Okay, maybe me not being a man, having female parts, maybe I am missing something, right? So I go to look and see what men are saying on on Twitter about this Gillette ad, which is trending, by the way. People are calling it anti-male, which I was like, huh? I saw another comment saying that this is sexism turned toward men. Is this like how when white people are are like it's reverse racism? Because that's what it sounds like. But okay, I'm trying to hear people out. There's another one. This guy said the Gillette ad is, quote, trying to change men into women. I, I was like, did we see the same ad? I I don't see it. So Piers Morgan, who is, I think he's just controversial for controversy's sake. I really don't think he believes most of the stuff that he says. I think he just knows very well how to take an unpopular opinion and garner attention. Piers Morgan writes this piece for the UK's Daily Mail, and essentially he blew like a full gasket. In short, he, he felt duped by Gillette and, quote, they no longer celebrate men. And just for clarity, I'm t- when I speak about Gillette, it's exactly the Gillette that you think that I'm talking about. It's the the razor people. Now that I've like rolled this over a million times, I think what men who are upset about this ad are responding to is for one of those rare times, men's behavior is being criticized. They're actually saying that, hey, some of the ways that you act are hurting Other people, children, women, other men, perhaps we should, you know, take a second look at these behaviors and behave better. It never says all men. It just shows these men in the commercial doing things that if you are in, I don't know, a Western society, you've seen men do most men that, you know, in some form or another a million and one time. Piers Morgan goes on to say the commercial is, quote, men are bad, shameful people who need to be directed on how to behave better. Well, yeah, this is yeah. Men are not above criticism. They're not perfect. Self-improvement is not the domain of, of solely women. Why wouldn't men think that they need to do better in some ways? Like, are women just supposed to be working on themselves and men Men do nothing? Huh? <sighs> I just don't understand how this is, this is, I don't know, emasculating or shaming men to, to expect them to do better. I'd say y'all are acting like pussies, but that's the insult because pussy is strong. You wouldn't last a day as a woman. Like, I can't remember the last time I went like a whole day without reading something that was critical of women. Within the last week, it was Meek Mill talking about he doesn't like women with lace fronts. Okay, you dated a woman who wore nothing but lace fronts. Like, what are you talking about? Was that a jab at your ex? Like, what are you saying, Meek? Also, Peter 
from Real Housewives of Atlanta. I've met him several times. He's actually a really cool dude. For some reason, he decides to get on social media and go on this rant about how dark-skinned women shouldn't wear blonde hair. And I'm like, why do you care? Why are you trying to tell women how they should wear their hair? Why can't you just let them be? You can't go more than like a 24-hour period without reading some hotep nonsense about like, well, black women are too big and they're not loyal. Feminists are the downfall of the black community. Women aren't submissive. Every other group of women is allegedly submissive, but black women refuse. Black women have too many degrees, own too many businesses. My favorite of the criticisms is the plate debate about whether What kind of plate should you serve your man on? Like, it's disrespectful to serve him on a square plate and then also on a paper plate. Does it matter if it's round or square? You ain't happy you got some hot food on a plate, sir? The men complaining about like, oh, this Gillette commercial, it's attacking me. It's emasculating me. You wouldn't make it a day as a black woman. Not one single day. But the men are all up in a furor, and I'm just going to go back to what Idris Elba said when asked about Me Too and if it was making it difficult for him to work in Hollywood. And he was like, it's only difficult if you have something to hide. So I wonder if all of these men who are all up in arms over this Gillette commercial, if you're not a bullying person and you're not a sexually harassing person and you're not a fighting all the time person, what exactly are you offended about? Like, you don't have to change anything. You might have to speak to somebody else and be like, hey, bro, that's not okay." Or however men talk to each other. I haven't been in a barbershop in a while. I don't understand why you would be upset unless you feel personally indicted by the commercial, which, bruh, if you're out here acting like that as a grown man, you need to be criticized and you need to change your behavior. It's not acceptable anymore. And really, it never should have been. So, surviving R. Kelly. Six hours, three nights. Of the craziest television I've seen in a really long time. I can't say ever, but I honestly right now can't think of anything to top it. First night, mostly stuff that I knew. I knew about Aaliyah. I was working as an intern at Vibe when, I don't want to call it a sex tape because it's not a, it's not sex, it's rape. And it's a 14-year-old girl and a man in his 30s. So the child pornography tape, when that came out, I remember they were selling it on Canal Street, which at the time I didn't think was crazy. But in retrospect, I'm like, people were selling child porn on the streets in New York like it was nothing. And everyone was watching the tape. I did see it. I did not purchase it, but I did see it. I remember when I remember when they pressed charges. I remember the trial. What I didn't know was that he was flirting with underage girls while he was on trial for child pornography. One of the girls who had gone to the trial featured in the documentary is a young woman by the name of Geronda Price. Geronda says that she skipped school and she went to the trial as often as she could. She got a chance to meet R. Kelly. She eventually goes to his house. They have sex. She ends up joining the alleged sex cult that he's running. She's like, it's too much after he becomes abusive and she eventually leaves. This is the very, very short version. Young Geronda Price wrote a book about her experience with R. Kelly. My mother who also watched the documentary in horror. She starts looking up stuff online just to learn more about R. Kelly and just as much as she can possibly find. So my mother orders the book. She reads it in about an hour. When I tell you the whole book is maybe 70 pages and it has big font too, it's a very quick read. My mother reads it 
And then she wants to have a conversation with me about it. I was up for it until my mom was like, yeah. And there was a dildo. And I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, you know what? Just give me the book. Don't tell me about the book. You'll have the information. And then I will have the information. And I can discuss it with my friends. And you can discuss it with your friends. Because you and I are mother and daughter. We are not friends. She was a little upset about that. So I take the book. I read the book. Young man is trying to make money selling her story. So I won't give everything away. But if you watch the documentary, you remember there was a woman who started dating R. Kelly like in her 30s. She was like 35. She'd been married before. She was in an abusive relationship. She described herself as a super fan of R. Kelly. And in the documentary, she goes back to the house where she had been kept as a part of of R. Kelly's sex cult. She won't go into the room that she stayed in when she was at the house. She goes into another room, which she calls the black room, and she becomes visibly upset. Looks like she's about to have like a panic attack or like a meltdown on camera. And she was just like, so many terrible things happen in this room. And from her reaction, You can only imagine what terrible things happen, but she never goes into detail. Jeronda's book will fill you in on about what happened that would send somebody over the edge into a panic attack, just remembering what happened in a particular room. So Jeronda was never, at least she doesn't say in in the book, she was never in the black room. She was held a kind of hostage because she couldn't really leave. According to her version of events, R. Kelly would tell you to stay in the room and you could call a certain number and somebody would bring you food. However, you could technically leave the room. You might just be beat for it later. But if you left and you were trying to like get outside, there was like a guard at the door who would be like, no, I can't let you go without Mr. Kelly's permission. So it wasn't like you could just go and come freely as you would like to. So I think a lot of people who watched the documentary were like, well, why didn't they just leave? Like, if you're unhappy, you're a grown woman. Why didn't you just leave? Well, because you were actually being held there. So she and R. Kelly are watching a basketball game together. He is rooting for the Chicago Bulls. She is not a Bulls fan. She's a Cavs fan. He gets upset and backhands her for rooting for the Cavs. She goes up to the room or he sends her to the room and he comes in not so long after, like nothing's happened, like he didn't just backhand her in the face and he wants to have sex. She was not wanting to get hit again. So she's like, you know, okay. So he pulls out a dildo. She's confused because she's like, well, I don't, mind you, she's like 16 years old. She's not, you know, with the the other ways of some worlds yet. So he pulls out this dildo and he wants her to use it on him. So she's like, I'm confused because my understanding is if a man wants to use, oh gosh, put your kids away. So if you're, if you're in the car, you're listening to this with kids or you're at work, this would be the time to turn the volume down or to turn me off if there are kids present. Because I don't know... If I could speak about this in euphemisms, but it would it's it's taking way too much brain power and I just I don't want to use that much right now. She was like, My understanding is that when a dildo is used on a man in his anus, that he's gay. And R. Kelly gets upset at her for implying that he's gay, and I think he hit her again. And he told her to quote, effing listen like the dog I'm training you to be. This is Geronda's version of events. Then 
he makes her crawl on all fours to come to him across the room. And then she has the sex with him with the dildo in his anus. And she makes a point to say that he didn't require lube. These are the kind of details that are in this book. She talks about a couple other scenarios. She said she saw R. Kelly receive oral from a man and then he penetrated that same man. They wanted to be watched. It's not like she walked in on it. Like he, he made her watch him have sex with another man. This is how Geronda describes what she saw. And I'm reading from the book. She writes, Rob's secret lover undressed from the bottom down. That was when Rob bent him over after doing the exact same and inserted his penis into his friend's anus. I continued to watch with a good poker face, though I was stirring inside. I was in shock and in disbelief about what I was seeing. I sat there, bewildered with a straight face as they escaped into ecstasy, seemingly forgetting my presence. I couldn't judge him, and to see him have sex with a man couldn't change my view of him. Daddy was a lover of the people. No judgment could be passed. Girl. Boy. That. That is a lot. Too much for for me. Daddy was a lover of the people. I can't believe my, my dear mother, has, her eyes have seen this. This is too much material. That is some hot tea. Hot tea. So... If you have a chance, pick up Geronda's book. It's it's very short, like I said, quick read, fascinating. Also of note, in the documentary, it's mentioned that Geronda is breaking um, an NDA to talk about R. Kelly. Geronda was paid $1.5 million by R. Kelly to keep her quiet after she left the the sex cult. She went to her family and told them what happened. They didn't believe her, but... Apparently, some point, someone believes her. She hired a lawyer and she ends up suing R. Kelly and they settle out of court for $1.5 million. You know what else I find so interesting about the conversation that's currently being had about R. Kelly? There were so many people in the documentary who knew what was going on. And so there's been a lot of conversation about the people around him that allowed him to continue. It's not just men who are silent. Most of the people in the documentary were men, but also women. I think that's one thing that if if there's one more thing that I wish could be included in the documentary and already it was six hours and it covered so much terrain and just a 10 hour documentary about R. Kelly would have just been too damn much. Like I was I was worn out after six hours. I couldn't even sleep the last night of the documentary because I was so horrified by what I had seen. But I wish there had just been just a little bit more time to discuss the ways, and you're not going to like what I'm about to say, but the way that Black women prop up R. Kelly. I was reading something today. Essence Magazine did a a story about R. Kelly, and I think it was one of the women in the documentary, Lisa. She's the one. She met R. Kelly on a video shoot. She was 17. She went home and told her mother she was going to Chicago to be with R. Kelly. And somehow her mother said, yes. This woman does this interview with Essence. She makes the point that if you're still buying R. Kelly music and you're still going to R. Kelly concerts, that you are essentially supporting R. Kelly's sex cult. Like you're funding his lifestyle and he spends the money that he makes on abusing women and girls, which 
point. I get it. I stopped listening to R. Kelly's music a long time ago and I was late. Like I should have stopped listening like somewhere around Chocolate Factory, which was the album after the child pornography tape was being sold on Canal Street. I should have stopped then and I'm embarrassed and disappointed with myself to say that I did not. The Village Voice did an article maybe like four or five years ago at this point that was just damning in its its condemnation of R. Kelly. And I was like, oh, no, I can no longer support this. And I publicly wrote about it. And I was like, I get it. Like the people who who still step in the name of love. Like R. Kelly's music is a soundtrack for so much of my life. His first single came out when I was in eighth grade, all through high school, all through college, all through my early 20s. R. Kelly was putting out hits and that's what they played at the club. And that's what I played during um, friendlier times at home. So I get people who have fond memories, you know, like I've stepped in the name of love. D.C., we do a little something different than Chicago with our two step. But I do that to step in the name of love and I do it well, too. But yeah, so this article is on Essence.com and the comments are deplorable. Obviously, being on Essence, they're mostly from black women. It's a whole lot of... I'll I'll read you a couple of them. Quote, why are you trying to hate on him? And then you want me to stop playing or buying his music. To all the haters out there, I'm going to continue to listen to R. Kelly and buy his music forever. Team Kelly for life. Really, sis? Another woman says, what attracted you to R. Kelly is the same thing that attracted me to him. The difference is I stayed in a kid's place and your hot ass didn't. Bye. I'm I'm reading quotes if you ever want to go into the comments section because you're like, Demetria, you're making this shit up. I'm not. One more. This woman says, sounds like all these victims just want to get back at this man for treating them like groupies that didn't get the Aaliyah treatment. Aaliyah, again, was the 15-year-old that he married and was having sex with when he was 27. Just for clarity. This woman continues. She says, I believe they were the predators who'd already been exposed to his past from rumors or his preference for young women. This is coming from black women. The mothers, aunties, older sisters, cousins of of the young black girls, girls who he was having sex with and, and urinating on when he was well into his 20s, 30s, 40s. He was 40 years old, 41, in fact, when he was interviewed and asked, do you have teenage friends? And he need clarification on how old are we talking? You're a 41 year old man. Why in the hell would you have teenage friends? I could probably talk about that documentary forever in a day. And I just I have to let it go at some point. Like It's so disturbing. I just don't know. Like, where do we go from here? It did spark a national conversation, but what I hope it sparks more than anything is less victims, less tolerance for sexual predators and the abuse of young girls and also boys. R. Kelly was also sexually abused, and I make no excuses for his behavior because of that, but R. Kelly was sexually abused allegedly by his older sister, R. Kelly's younger brother did an interview, it's on YouTube, and 45 minutes where he talks about how his sister molested him and more than likely R. Kelly as well. So I hope if nothing else comes of the documentary, like everybody didn't get it, but the people who did, I hope they can be more vigilant about protecting children, whether it's your child, whether it's somebody else's child. But like, you know, if you see something, say something and not just to the predator, like say something to the police. That's that's important. So this Jeff Bezos affair, 
just a quick recap. Jeff Bezos is the founder of Amazon.com, a company that is 24 years old. He is the richest man in the world with, I want to say it's like $135 billion, is it? Um, he got a whole lot of money. Sorry, it's $137 billion. Recently, he announced his separation and upcoming divorce from his wife of 25 years, his wife, Mackenzie. Jeff and Mackenzie met, I want to say 26 years ago, when they were working at the same company. They started dating. They get married, I think, a year after they met. A year after that, Jeff has this crazy idea for this company that he wants to build, but he needs Mackenzie, his wife, to move with him across country because New York is not a tech capital. So he starts the early version of Amazon. There's this very popular picture online. It's Bezos with one desk and a banner on the wall that says Amazon. He's working out of a rented garage. That's where it was founded. In the early years of Amazon, it's beginning to grow. McKinsey used to do the accounting for the company. That's according to a story in Wired. They were a partnership. So it might have been Amazon was, you know, his brainchild, but his wife as his spouse and partner helped build his vision into what it eventually became. The Bezos have four children. Eventually, Mackenzie focuses more on keeping the home than she and Jeff focuses more on the company. But the idea of him being this, I think what Wired called it, like a lone entrepreneur, this lone wolf entrepreneur that is a tech giant with no other input or support from anyone around him is very inaccurate. He very much had the support of his wife. In layman's terms, Mackenzie was with him shooting at the gym. They are now getting a divorce. There is $137 billion to figure out what to do with. They live in a community property state. Obviously, 25 years is more than 10. So it should be split pretty evenly. There's some question as to how they're going to split it because a lot of the Bezos wealth is caught up in Amazon stock. But 25 years and four kids, you were there before the company was founded. Run, madame, her money. Like I see people online talking about like, oh, how much did she get this one woman I follow on Facebook? But she was like, yeah, she should just take a cool billion and go on about. No, she shouldn't. No, she shouldn't. Why would she accept one billion when there's another 136 billion on the table? That makes no sense. And granted, this is an amount of money that no one can spend in one lifetime. Like a billion is more than sufficient to get by. I totally get that. But as women, we must stop this. We should not sell ourselves short. A billion is a bunch of money. No argument. But 67 billion is so much more. She's not being gifted that money. He's not doing her a favor by giving her the money. It's her money. It was money that was made during the course of the marriage over 25 years. Run that lady her money. The other part of this Bezos affair, and I call it the Bezos affair because, fun fact, Bezos was having an affair. So the Inquirer followed Bezos for about four months. They followed his affair with a woman by the name of Lauren Sanchez. Lauren is like Bezos, also married. She's married to a Hollywood bigwig, I think a talent agent. Lauren and her husband were friends of Jeff Bezos and his wife, Mackenzie. Jeff and Lauren decided to do their side separate thing. And the Inquirer followed them and documented their dates. I mean, Bezos is a billionaire. He was spending very sexy money. Lauren has good money as well. She 
I guess she has a helicopter license, but they went on some date that was on the top of like some canyon or some mountaintop, like really sexy, like, you know, Thomas Crown Affair type. But in addition, the Inquirer got access to text messages that Bezos had been sending to Lauren. And when I tell you, it's some of the most romantic I've ever read. And I'm a former romance editor. I started my career editing romance novels. I used to work at Harlequin and I like edited like the nasty stuff. But Bezos, very romantic man. I say that with a grain of salt because no one is more romantic than a man trying to get out of a marriage or a man who needs commissary on his prison account. Bezos obviously falls into the former, but romantic, just the most romantic stuff you've ever seen. He was sending Lauren, his mistress, notes like this. I want to smell you. I want to breathe you in. I want to hold you tight. I want to kiss your lips. I love you. I am in love with you. That is some beautiful sh- Men don't really get open like that, unless it's illicit. I've had guys who were who did romantic things, who had romantic gestures, but the 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 pouring it on thick has always come with like a guy who like who was never really being quite honest about his relationship status. Let's see what else Bezos had to say. He says, "Your energy and ideas and competence and spirit turn me on. You make me better. You're meant for me. I know it more clearly than I've ever known anything. I love everything about you." I love that your last pick takes me completely out of my head. I am crazy about you, all of you. I need to smell and touch you. I want to hold you. I know you're right for me. I know we fit. I like it when you're strong and I like it when you're vulnerable. Everything. The only thing I don't like is not being with you. All of this is just straight from my heart. I love everything about you. That is romance. And I saw a couple guys online because I was talking about it on my Facebook page. And the guys were like, oh, that's so whack. He has no game. No, sirs, that is game for days. It's it's wonderful filth dressed up in, in prettier words. Oh, it's wonderful. I just wish he was saying it to his wife. Because if he was saying that type of stuff to his wife, he would not be getting a divorce right now. I feel terrible for his wife, though. I can't imagine reading these declarations of love from my husband to another woman. As his wife, I would be devastated. I sincerely hope that that Mackenzie Bezos has is somewhere with a man 10 years her junior, getting her back blown out with a combined clitoral vaginal orgasm. I hope she's with someone who who knows how to like make her squirt. Wish your soon-to-be ex-husband who's so in love with this woman, wish him well. Let him go on his way to build whatever life he's going to build. I say that because often I find that people are very romantic when they're in bad situations and they see something that looks like an exit or looks like different or something comforting. But when they actually get into that situation, it's not the same thing. Having a day-to-day life with his mistress may not be the fantasy that it is now. Or it may. Whatever happens, I I hope that, that Mrs. Bezos can wish her husband well to go and live his best life. And I hope that she does the same with really great orgasms. And this is totally attainable to her. Because if you got like 60 something billion, you should be able to buy some joy. It's so messy. But I'm really curious to see how much she's going to get. Last thought. Kamala Harris, black woman, senator, from California, 
is allegedly going to announce very soon that she's going to run for president. MLK weekend is when she's supposed to announce, according to reports from people inside her camp, which means unnamed sources. So this could be true or not. But there's been a talk for a while about whether she would run for president. So it seems that it's coming to fruition. I will admit with a bit of embarrassment when I first heard that she was going to run, I was like, I don't think she should run. I don't think that's a good idea. And I'll tell you where that came from. Trump must be beat. We cannot do another four years of this nonsense. Every day is like a soap opera. My knee jerk was that a woman or a person of color is not the right person to run because there are a lot of people who are racist that don't consider themselves racist, despite one of their deepest fears being that women and the coloreds of all colors, not just black colored, but people of color, are taking over America and are destroying their way of life. And while they don't consider themselves racist, they will vote for a white man, even one that has no sense, over anyone else out of fear and preservation of their whiteness. So when I hear that Kamala Harris wants to run, the first thing I'm thinking is, it's not about qualifications. It's, are people going to vote for a black woman? They didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. If a white woman could go up against Trump and not win, does a black woman stand a chance? Because while I believe that the vast majority of black women would vote for a black woman running for president, I don't know what white women will do. Because we thought that when Hillary Clinton was running, that they would have voted for her. But 53% of them voted against their best interests and voted for Trump instead of Hillary Clinton. I can't even begin to guess what black men will do as a voting block here. And I say that because I don't know that black men are okay with being led by a black woman or any woman. I also wonder if they'll question her loyalty as a black woman because her husband is white. That's a thing for some people, like a real thing, according to the guys online. They really don't like interracial relationships. When it comes to Black women, of course, Black men in interracial relationships for men is not an issue. I honestly can't see white men as a voting block going in her favor. I have no clue what the Latino or Asian communities will do as a voting block. This is going to sound wrong, and it might be, but it's what I think. In order to beat Trump, you got to give the racist and the sexist who don't feel that they are racist and sexist an alternative to Trump that they are comfortable voting for. Because if you're only comfortable with a man in office, you're going to go with Trump. And if you're only really comfortable with a white person in office, you're going to go with Trump. But I feel like a white man is what is needed to run against Trump and essentially like save America because we're a mess right now. My God, America is so messy right now. And then I had to catch myself from that thinking. I said it, I thought it. And then I was like, so essentially what you're saying is that a white man has to be your savior. Black folk, people of color, like can't save themselves. You need a white savior. And I was like, you sounding real brainwashed, D. That's a little scary. 
I'm not going to call myself an Uncle Tom, but I was not pleased with my train of thought when I said it. And I don't think she can win, but I want her to prove me wrong. Remember like a good nine, 10 years ago when this senator from Chicago, who'd only had one major speech that we didn't really know that much about, he threw his hat out there and everybody was like, nah, bruh, I would love to see it for you, but I don't see it for you. Obviously, Barack Obama pulled through for eight years. I mean, Kamala Harris, she could pull something off. I don't think it's the right environment, but if sis wants to throw her hat in the ring, let me see what you got. We'll see who the best man or woman is left standing. I would love to see a black woman president. I think after Hillary Clinton's loss to Trump, I was like, I don't know that I'll see a woman president. I don't think I said in my lifetime, but I was like, we're just not ready. We're not there. But maybe we could be. Maybe if if we all mobilized, maybe if I helped with the mobilization, that could be a possibility. So if Kamala Harris throws herself out there, I will dig further into her record and what she's about. And if she's good to go, then, you know, Team Kamala. Let's see what we can make happen. I think that's fair, yeah? So that is the end of my second podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the support that you've shown so far. If you'd like to discuss the podcast, I post them on my blog, DemetriaLLucas.com. You can also go on my Instagram page at Demetria L. Lucas. If you want to talk about anything I've discussed, there will be a post that's just dedicated to the discussion. So yeah, that's all I've got. Again, thank you for listening and tune in next Thursday. We're still dating. We're still getting to know one another. Clearly, I like you. It seems like you like me too. We're going to keep going so we get out of the honeymoon phase and get to know each other real well. Then we'll make a decision in 90 days. Thanks again for listening. Greatly appreciate you. You have no idea. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye.